0: What's up everybody welcome to another boardroom out of office podcast. A little different today. I don't have my man Gianni with me. We got him down with some allergies, not a cold, nothing else, nothing serious, just some allergies and his voice sounds crazy, sneezing a lot and shit. But today wasn't going to be about G&I anyway because last week I had the honor of interviewing Jimmy Iovine as part of our boardroom university program and we did it at USC and I was nervous, to be honest with you. I mean, as nervous as I get, because he's somebody that since I knew what I wanted to do or who I wanted to be, it was him that I kind of aspired to and him that I held in this and still do hold on this pedestal of greatness because he was able to do it his way. He was able to impact art and music and culture in, in, in so many ways. His partnership with Dre is something that Kevin and I are enamored by and obviously Defiant Ones. It was a legendary documentary that really planted the two of them in that kind of rarefied air. So I'm going to run the tape on last week's interview, and um, I hope everybody enjoys. There's some student questions in there. So without further ado, please listen to podcast number 34 in honor of my man Charles Oakley, and I hope everybody enjoys. Jimmy Iovine, Boardroom University.
1: What's up, everybody, and welcome to Boardroom University at USC, presented by Pepsi. I want to thank USC for helping us bring together this group, specifically the USC Annenberg School and the Dean Willow Bay. And a big thanks to the USC Ivine and Young Academy, which we will get into a bit later. So to our guests and the reason why we started Boardroom University. Our guest is Jimmy Iovine, and he's somebody that co-founded Interscope Records. He's somebody that co-founded Beats, was the CEO of Apple Music. He's somebody I've idolized my whole career. I've gotten to meet a few times, but really got to meet through the lens of the Defiant Ones, his doc on HBO. Um, But you're an innovator. And for me, I created Boardroom University as a part of Boardroom because I'm obsessed with the journey. I do love the ultimate prize, but I'm obsessed with the journeys of athletes I admire, entrepreneurs I admire, CEOs I admire. And to be honest, I wanted to get to the journey so badly that I could not connect in school. I couldn't see how what I was doing in school was gonna be an additive to where I knew I wanted to go and what I wanted to be. And I didn't see it as what it really is, which is an incredible asset. The, one of the most incredible assets you can bring with you on your journey. But for me and Jimmy, for you, the journey and that process um, of starting as a janitor in a studio, about as cliche of a first job out. I want to introduce you and thank you for coming on. And uh, I'd love to hear about the early days of Jimmy Iovine and what it was like to know that you wanted so much, but you were starting as a janitor in a studio. And thank you so much for joining us.
2: Hello. Hey, man. How are you? So you know what happened was i was um you know the Beatles came in nineteen sixty three I think it was you know I was about uh, ten years old and i got i was in a working class neighborhood my dad was a longshoreman, my grandfather was a longshoreman, and you know my uncles were longshoremen and either you had a union job or you did other stuff you know to hustle and get some money so um I was looking for a direction. And when I saw that and then the stones, I said, okay, I want to be in a band. I'm going to be, you know, going to communicate through music. And, you know, that didn't go as well as I had hoped. I wasn't as talented as I thought I could be in playing instruments. So um, I, uh, I got very lucky and got a job sort of, they, they call them generals and what you do? To, uh, I got, I worked for free at a recording studio. Well, the minute, but I have to cut to, I worked, in a studio after school, and the minute, which speaks about education, right? But the minute I got my draft lottery number was to say whether you were going to get drafted for Vietnam or not, my number was 258. They stopped at 168, which means I wasn't going to get drafted. I quit school that evening, right? So... Because, and that goes about something I want to talk about later, which what is school and why is school now and why it's important. And, you know, because a lot of people go through that in there, especially today, because I see all these guys leaving college and going and become Steve Jobs or Mark Zuckerberg or all that stuff, you know. So that's a conversation for a couple of minutes from now. So I got a job, you know, sweeping up, doing whatever it took to do, and I got to watch. And I realized how special the people were that I was working with that were in the studio. So I realized at that moment, which I hadn't known until then, that I had to work harder than them to get anywhere, and that was pretty hard. So it was a lot of um, a lot of grit and work ethic of going from, you know, from a part-time job, going to school, living with my mother, to um, twenty-hour-a-day work days. and it was uh, a real culture shock.
1: So towards the end of the conversation, we gonna bring a bunch of students up. But I really want to understand, you know, for me, listen, there's so many intricacies of your career that I could go into and that I would want to learn about. But what you just said about, like, jumping into your career and just doing it and just figuring it out is hard, right? There are certain things that entrepreneurs and CEOs may have built within them where they jump right into it and they know they can do it. The journey that we're going to walk everyone through, I hope, is something that they can relate to at different parts of it because... Part of it is we can all talk forever, but a lot of it is jumping into it and getting over that fear, right? And someone said to me last week that when you have this vision for where you want to be in your life or what you think you can be, your vision should always stay the same, but obviously the tactics have to change along the way and the roles and the roles in different businesses you have to play. But when you went through being a producer and an engineer and a janitor and Um, And and obviously your ability to network and connect with people is second to none, right? And that's important at any level of any job. But when you started in the music industry and you started Interscope and you co-founded Interscope, what was like the state of music then? And what was your vision? What was the, the kind of daydreaming of what Interscope was going to be one day?
2: Well, I came out of producing records for 18 years. I was actually in the studio to define what a record producer is, actually making the music. You know, so I did that for 18 years. I'm a big believer, partially because I get bored faster than most people. I have a less of an attention span, especially over a couple over years. So I uh, I wanted and then also a dear friend of mine, David Geffen, sold his record company. And I realized that I, he was from Brooklyn. I was from Brooklyn where I was working as hard as him. And he sold his company for five hundred million dollars. And I was doing really well, but not that well. Right. So I said. Okay, and then I had a son, uh, 1988, and uh, you two had mentioned to me that they wanted to go to Berlin to do their next record. I said, okay, I go to They didn't ask me to do it, but it could have happened. I said, okay, I'm gonna go to Berlin for six months to a year. I'm not gonna see my son. Dave is over here selling his record company. I'm in the studio producing records, and I'm, I'm, I'm bored of it as well. So uh, at that moment, I pivoted and decided to start a record company. So I wanted a record company and uh, but if I was going to do a record company, I didn't like record companies. So I had to I was a record producer who wouldn't even allow the record companies to come down to my studio because they just bugged me, the kind of people that were working there. I didn't like the entire environment. So I said, okay, we're going to build the modern day of Atlantic Records, which is extreme, exciting rock music and extreme and exciting urban music, black music. And that's why in the end, what we started out with, we had Nine Inch Nails, Marilyn Manson, Helmet, Primus, and we had Dre, Pac, Snoop. And, you know, it went on from there. But there was definitely a model, which was the original Atlantic that had the Rolling Stones, Led Zeppelin, Ray Charles, and Aretha Franklin. I said, that's the model.
1: So you mentioned David Geffen. I've I've read and heard, obviously, he was a big influence. Was he the influence when you were producing and engineering? Was that always the guy, or did he so he become someone before Interscope you met that then became the model?
2: No, I I, I met David in eighty, and uh, I always thought he was. I didn't. I never thought a record company was my lane. You know, there was Ahmed, Clive, David, all, Mo Austin. There were all these guys, and I just figured that's what they do. Yeah. You know, which is an important point to talk to kids, people in college right now, because you could see something and have a completely ignore it for a very, very long time and then have something hit you where you can pivot. Pivot is very important. And how do you pivot is, first of all, you have to enter, enter every situation. If you could, if you want a weapon, if you want a weapon of mass entertainment and success, humility And humility can be acquired. Do not breathe your own exhaust. You guys are all coming from the best high schools. You're in the best universities. You're Annenberg and all this stuff. So every day you're having some sort of success. If you build an ego now, and if you think that your stuff is really the shit, you're going to have a real problem rather than enter it with a, with a situation like, okay, everything I already know, everything I know could already be wrong. If you enter every day like that, then every opportunity that scans in front of you, you will really see no matter who's giving it to you. You could possibly, it could be somebody you go like, I can't believe, I don't want to listen to that person. No, I listen to every person. Yep. Just to say, okay, I get a feel for what's going on. And if you're open to that, and if you're willing to begin again all the time, you get, you give yourself a much better edge of getting something.
1: But so staying a bit on that, why when you're talking to kids, and I do know that like the popularity, right? When I was coming up in New York, the reason why I, I quickly realized I couldn't play basketball, which I loved, but I stayed close to it and I stayed around it. So I kept that network with me. but. As I started to look at who it was out there for me to idolize, it was these music impresarios, right? It was Puffy. It was Jay-Z and Damon Dash in New York. It was you. It was Lior Cohen. And I saw these people and that college kids now, like you said, the people we are seeing are the Mark Zuckerbergs. They're athlete turned entrepreneur. They're people that Don't relate the same thing to, you know, you don't sit in college and go, okay, well, they took these steps throughout corporate America. Right. That's not how they did it. And that journey may not relate to what they're going through in school. And when you were a producer and engineer, you you are known for your persistence. But with persistence and self-awareness, they don't always go hand in hand. Right. So if some of these kids and you're teaching innovation and they come out and you do have to be self-aware and have to understand that these steps are part of the journey, but the persistence is what got you there. How do you balance that as kind of a young person that knows you can well, do it, thinks you can do it?
2: That's a great question. And the reason is because it's about self-awareness. And if I see Mark Zuckerberg in today's world, or if I see Phil Spector and you know, Jimmy Miller, the Rolling Stones producer, or George Martin when I was a kid, and, or I see Clive Davis and David Geffen and all these guys, I never thought I was going to be them. I just wanted to be good. Bruce Springsteen said it best. He said, I didn't want to be famous. I didn't want to be rich. I didn't even want to be happy. I wanted to be great. If you become great, the rest will take care of itself. Become really good at what you do and have confidence that that will take you to the promised land yeah. and that's it forget seeing right now unfortunately you guys have so much information i mean I, if i had to look at everyone's successful everyone looks good everyone it's it's, it's insanity you know i'm not on, i don't have instagram right so uh but uh but i'm 100 years old so uh but just focus on what you're doing at that moment and become really good at it. Have the confidence. Comp- a lot of people think they can't be really good and they got to accentuate the hustle. Become good, and you will. The hustle will happen. If you're gifted to have a little hustle, nothing wrong with that. But become great. That's all that matters. Not becoming Mark Zuckerberg. Become great at what you do.
1: Yeah. And I think that that goes for people that choose to go a path that is through corporate America or through not for profit. And it goes for entrepreneurs that have to start as a janitor in a studio or, you know, as a PA on the set of a TV show. And I do know, though, that when you start to if you do focus on that first step and you are great at it, and I have heard you say that, and I've modeled that, and how I talk to my team is there are moments, though, where you know you have to pivot, where you are aware of an opportunity, you are aware of a moment in time. And even at Interscope, right? You talked about you wanted extreme with the rock and roll, you want extreme with black music, with hip hop, but there was a moment where you totally veered. This is what happens when you get an interview with a real city kid, man. The sirens in the background. Oh,
2: well, I, I, you know, I'm from Brooklyn. Do I, do I, I get that. it? And do I way. miss? Do I miss it?
1: No. No, but I will say, <laughs> you know, I, I'm. You don't get enough credit from like you don't. I want you next to, to the the greats in Brooklyn: Jackie Robinson, Biggie, Jay Z, and Jimmy. They don't tribute to Brooklyn enough. Well, but, then, well, by the way, let's not leave out Bob Iger. And Bob Iger, that's right. See, you two don't get enough. Um, <laughs> There was a moment, though, where hip hop, Like, do you remember when you it was a music video, a song, somebody introduced you to somebody where that like bubble, that energy started, that fire started. And you knew that Interscope had to pivot and that you had to be great and have to understand what you needed to do to understand what that was.
2: Well, Rich, more importantly, I had to pivot because I came from rock and roll. I did The Pretenders, Tom Petty, you know, Bruce Springsteen, U2. That's where I came from. And I started a record company. And what happened was uh, someone at the record company named John McClane introduced me to Suge Knight and Dr. Dre. And they had a finished record. And I told this story last night because we were playing music, a bunch of friends of mine. And, uh, and I told the story last night that when I heard it, I didn't relate to it in the beginning in hip hop. I didn't understand that the sound of the music, I didn't, I didn't really get it. But when I heard Dre, I said, wow, this guy is creating a sound that's going to transcend hip hop. It's going to it's going to explode it worldwide. That's what I felt because they reminded me of the Stones in a way where they had the real angst and you were scared of them. But their music sucked you in. And he he made it very palpable, a very dangerous kind of music. But his sonics were so beautiful. That you just and the musicianship that you just got pulled in. So I had to pivot at that moment. I had to go into study mode because I had no idea. I wasn't Russell Simmons or Rick Rubin or any of those guys. I didn't puff. I didn't I didn't understand it at all. I just knew that if I gave it energy, if I gave it my energy and I backed it like I would back you too, I said, this is going to, when I met those guys, there'd never been, ai a, 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 don't think, supposedly, there'd never been a music video for $30,000, more than $30,000. I gave Dre $300,000 for a video the day I met him. And, um, you know, they were calling me, the other labels were calling me the Antichrist because I just pumped money into it. I just said, this is, this is crazy. This shouldn't, hip hop was in, you know, over here you know, and uh, all I did to contribute was back people the way they should have been backed,
1: but that was and bold. We, but, but it's, you know, I, I listened to, I got to listen to Bill Gates speak a few years ago and he had this platform to be able to talk about intricate software as he was developing. And all he wanted to talk about was how much of an investment he will continue to make till his last day in people and sometimes taking a leap of faith in people. And as you know, people are building companies. Was that, and, and you were building this this kind of pillar within Interscope, was that really what it was when you just invested in, in Dre and Suge Knight and started to kind of break this mold a bit in creating these joint ventures that then became like the mold in a lot of ways for the business now? You know, I look at what the music industry did in that way and attribute it now to the way Nike's looking at their signature athletes.
2: Well, I, I just thought, okay, there are people that know more about this than I do. So I'm going to find the best and the most talented and back them and bet on them. Now, what that takes goes back to my, the whole thing about what I call, what is humility? Meaning that, okay, this information could come from anywhere and whatever I think could be wrong. So I'm going to bet on these characters. I'm going to bet on Timberland. I'm going to bet on Dr. Dre. I'm going to bet on Pharrell. You know, uh, and I I collected record producers because that's something I understood. So I was able to connect my worlds. And uh, so I blindly believe in people. And okay. sometimes, you know, sometimes I miss by a mile. Sometimes it gets you in trouble, but I, bl- I do. If I think you're talented, I get behind you like I want people to get behind me. And that's not how I... Not- See, because a lot of it, a lot of it is something that another word that is underused in business. Empathy. You have to have empathy. You have to be able to put yourself in the other person's shoes and understand what they are feeling. Without empathy, you're going to be so regular. But if you have empathy, you will be unique. Yep. To have empathy, you can't be – you've got to carnish your fear because empathy means you've got to give up your ego for a minute and put yourself in the other person's shoes. So humility, empathy, if you can build the confidence to have those – because it takes confidence to have those two things. It's the opposite of what you think.
1: Yeah,
2: It takes confidence. Yep. We see a lot of athletes – They have no humility and no empathy because they're rock stars, right? Uh, You know, but the ones that do, the ones that say, Bono, Bono has humility and empathy, and that's why he is who he is.
1: You've always been ahead of the curve, but I look at how you invested in hip-hop and how you invested in some of these kind of producers in hip hop as like a VC in some ways, you know, and you really were looking at like a business that had got themselves to wanting to raise financing. And you may not have known everything, but you had invested in them. And that's the same approach Kevin and I have taken to investing. And, you know, I think that's what's made you so genius is that when these moments come, you know how to move quick and innovate and the digital age, right. And your friends, Steve Jobs and Eddie Q, iTunes feels like it flipped the music industry upside down overnight. And you had to quickly, right? Someone that was so successful that really like, it takes a certain level of your own accountability because you're running a company, right? You're making money, you're successful. And a lot of people in your position because of that went like this and then had to play catch up. But you quickly had the foresight to innovate. So what was the effect on Interscope at that time? And what was your strategy?
2: Well, there's another word, right? There's humility, empathy, and fear because the record industry still is a business of fear of what they don't know and what they can't do. So when I met Steve, I said, oh, and Eddie, I said, this is where the party is. We were getting blasted by, I wasn't sure if iTunes was the solution, I knew Apple was the I said Apple is good, is, is somebody who cuz it was run by someone who understood technology and liberal arts. Actually, he is who the Ivying Young University uh, Academy is 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 designed behind. Cuz he had a magical talent for understanding technology, design, he just he just understood it all. He was that one person. Now, when you go to technology companies, they have scores of people who don't understand you, Rich. They have, and you go to a, a, a content company, they have scores of people that don't understand technology. They don't even understand the language. So, if you don't understand the language and you don't understand it, how could you possibly not be afraid of that other person? So, I believe in education where because kids are coming up today in order to communicate, in order to get a date, in order to do anything. You have to understand some some sort of technology, entertainment, video games, conversation, this, you know, (laughs) someone's got to turn this on and hit Zoom. Right. So it's 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 you're born with technology. So what you don't want to happen is when you go to school. That's why we're investing in a high school now. Is you don't want that side of your brain shut off. You don't want to go to a Wharton and you're in there with a bunch of accountants. Nothing wrong with accountants, but I don't want to be around 50 of them all day. Yep. I want to be around people who think differently than I do. Yeah. It's funny. I want, be, I want to go to lunch with a person who's a computer science major who is also taking design.
1: Yeah.
2: Because that's how i that's how I live every day of my life. So it's fear, and you and your where you guys are in school right now is you can h- start to harness your fear. And if you harness your fear and get it to push you forward rather than blocking you, which is what fear does to 90% of the world, that's firepower. Yep. Then, then, when you walk into Steve Jobs' office or you walk into this place. The first thing you're not going to fear, you're going to see the fear, but you're going to get excited because, you know, it pushes you forward and gives you and you want to be on the edge and say, OK, I'm going to go for this. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going for it. How could you become great? How could you even know what you're good at if you're a fader failing? Yep. You fail. You say, I stink at that. I better get somebody on my team to help me that does that. Or I'm good at that. I have confidence now. I did it. I thought I was going to fail. I didn't. Okay. Check me in one corner minus me in this corner.
1: Yep.
2: I want to get better at that. But if you're afraid to fail and you don't, and you get frozen because your fear is blocking your path, you're toast. Yep.
1: And I think, like you said, with the, the fear is because there's lack of preparation, lack of knowledge, lack of confidence and staying in touch, which is the easiest thing to do in today's day, right? So I'm 44 years old and I was at a dinner and I was talking about NFTs, trading cards, the blockchain, crypto, and I can speak about it so fluently. And I have friends of mine working at financial institutions, uh, big law firms, and they they don't know anything about it. And they wonder, how do I even figure this out? Like, I, I wish I had a job like yours. I said, my job has nothing to do with NFTs, And crypto, but staying in touch and utilizing what is available to us in social media is important. And I remember sitting in meetings with you when I was younger and, you know, I wish I had the confidence to speak when I was younger the way I can now when I was in those rooms with you. But I remember at that time being in the music business and I was managing uh, artists in hip hop. I was managing Mark Ronson. I was managing Solange. artists from all different genres. And I went into these and what I did well was I could manage talent well. But I wasn't loving music. I wasn't learning and staying in touch and coming in with the education. And as I've gotten older, I realized that the confidence comes strictly from having the arsenal, having the information. And I do think that you can take this entrepreneurial climb that may not include what you really believe you want to do in life and stay so in touch now. Where when you were coming up in business, I assume that your way of staying in touch was Building a network of great people. And, and I've heard you talk about that because there was no social media. Kind of your relationships with these people at Apple, at different companies, were different than other heads of major labels. What has kind of been your approach in how you built this network? How you build these relationships and how you build these like long-term relationships where people swear by you? And as a friend, you know, I, like I said, I left a friend of yours a few days ago in Miami and more than all your success is the friendship. He always talks to me about with you and I've my own network on this. So
2: because I'm not afraid of what I don't know. If you walk into a room and you want to be the smartest guy, you're not going to be the smartest guy, most likely. So you're going to lose both ways. You're not going to learn anything. And then there's the fourth word curiosity. You rich are curious. You've always been curious. You want to know what you don't know. You're not protecting what you do know. That is a big deal. Most people are protecting what their image is. They want to control what you think of them. What they think of you, rather. You can't control what somebody thinks of you. Be yourself. Be curious and say, I don't know anything about that. Yep. I don't know how to make a movie. I can tell you right now. I meet with people all the time. I said, do you want to produce a movie? I said, I don't know how to make a movie. Tell yeah. me how to make a movie. Yesterday, I talked to a guy named Mark Echo, who we all know. I said, tell me about blockchain. He goes, you don't understand about blockchain? You worked it out? I said, yeah, I have no idea what the hell it is. I have no idea. I want to learn about it. So a lot of people, especially people in my position that have that, that, that have gone better for a while, they don't want to They don't want you to know what they don't know. I'm willing to tell everybody in the room from when I was 10 years old what I don't know. I don't understand this. I walk into a recording studio and say, whoa, what is this? This looks like science fiction. And I would ask people. And when you approach people like that, they usually feel comfortable and safe around you. They're not dealing with this absurd ego that walks in the door before you. And when I smell humility, I go in. When I smell hubris, I pull away. And it it sounds fundamental, but it's not. And it's more important than anything you're going to learn today. I guarantee it. Is that attitude. So when I meet Steve Jobs, I'm not saying to him, hey, you know, I got a, I got a Mac and I do this. And I, I said, Steve, I have no idea what the fuck you do. I have no idea, but I know what I do. So I can help you, but I really need your help. And when I used to sit with him, we went to a Greek restaurant once when I wanted to start Beats and I had Beats going and we did about $40 million. He said, hold on a second. And he told the waiter before we ate, Take all the food away. And there was a paper, you know, in, in those restaurants that have their white paper sort of tablecloth. Yeah. And he got a pen and he drew the entire hardware business for me on this piece of paper like this. He said, this is what you have to do. It starts there. It goes there. It does this and it goes that. And I'm like, I didn't say, oh, I know. I said, I don't know what the hell you t- tell me more. I don't know anything of what you're talking about or else you stop talking. Right. So and here I am coming. on am this big shot in music. But that, you know, I did that. First of all, another thing. Be careful of your victory laps. Achieve something and say, OK, what did I do right? What did I do wrong? Next. Guys that guys and girls that take victory laps waste a lot of time. You could have a little dinner with your family, but. Other than that, don't have it in your head. Don't have it in your head. Keep those things, humility, lack of hubris. You know, somebody, I, I put it to me, I don't know anyone who hasn't had a hit record. So how could it be something that you could blow your brain up on if you have one hit record? You know what I mean? It's silly. Because I was always worried about what's next.
1: You know? Well, once they you- well, uh, well, let me so i want I want to use what you're saying to an example of your success right because it's funny the reference you made about blockchain is I've noticed and this happened during the pandemic as I got really deep into the trading card space et etc was a lot of times when people say to you you don't know about the blockchain and you say no what is it they don't know either and it's really easy to get this information and I was able to dive into this because I started thinking to myself you know what No one knows, they know some of the things they can explain to you at top level, but the information is there for you. And you have a famous partner in Dre, and I think that like of all the things that Kevin and I get to work on, the one thing that we haven't dove into yet, you know, outside of our Nike relationship is when you create an actual product, right? That to me is the most fun experience in the world where you create something at whatever level it is, you believe in it like Shark Tank, and then you bring it to the the world, and they consume it. It's of gratifying, incredible feeling on any level, whether it's a piece of content, whatever it may be. And you and Dre then started a headphone company, right? Where in the beginning at the time, it was a headphone company. That's probably how people said it, like, oh, they're starting a headphone company. The reality was you were changing the world in a lot of ways, in, in so many ways. So Dre comes to you, We, I've, I've heard this story, I don't know how many students have, He wanted to build speakers. You guys streamlined it. The vision was headphones. But the strategy, now you are running Interscope, but you have to build this. And just doing it is what scares people. So tell me a little bit about like the inside the huddle of how the two of you started deploying this.
2: Well, what happened was in 2003, I realized I met Sean Fanning and I said, we're toast. I said, this thing, give me people free music. You could sue them until the cows come home. We are toast. So I started going around to all the different tech companies. And I met this one guy at uh, this guy named Les Valdez at uh, uh, what the hell company? I'm sorry, Intel. And he sent me down and gave me 20 minutes. I talked to him. He goes, wow, what a great story. He says, you know, Jimmy, but not every industry was built to last forever. I said, oh, shit. I called my buddy, Doug Mars. I said, we are so screwed. We, they aren't here for our land. They're here for our water. They're going to leave us with the land. Okay. (laughs) And we're going to not going to have any water. Okay. So, um, so I, I wanted to, I wanted to pivot the, and this goes into a very, very important story that I think I told last night to my friends. So we said we need to use our platform to sell other things. I don't care if it's jeans. I don't care what it is. We have to use this. We push out and other companies use our platform. MTV is one of them in the early days. They use our platform and our culture and our currency to sell their stuff and don't pay us for it. They just use it, right? Or pay us very little for it. So I said, we need to create a product. And we tested a bunch of things. And when Dre said, actually, what he said to me was, it's coming from your business, Adidas called up Peter Paterno, his lawyer, and said, we want Dre to make a sneaker. And I said, Dre, no, 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 no. You don't make sneakers. You make speakers. That's what you know. You're a terrible dresser. Okay. And uh, so no one cares what you wear. So we decided to go on that journey. And then I realized, yeah, but what's going to link these two things together is Beats Music is a streaming service, hardware, software, content which is software. I saw those three things together. And we've got Beats Music, we got it up to a certain point, then I realized I couldn't do it on my own. So I went, because it takes so much funding. So I went to Vivende. And I said, buy this. Beats is bigger than Interscope. Beats Music, get rid of Spotify, we could do it ourselves, and we'll get the extra 30%. And they said no, because they wanted to be in the music distribution. They saw that as something somebody else should do. So I went to Apple and they got it. And that's why Apple Music exists today. Beast Music morphed into Apple Music. And because they weren't self-aware and realizing that their business was in trouble and they needed to experiment they were more concerned about that my time was going to be taken away from music to do this stuff. This stuff turned out to be much bigger uh, than anything we were doing, you know. So, but it's, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of how it happened. You know, it took a pivot. I, I said, no, no, no. We have to. And I looked at Steve Jobs, the way I looked at David Geffen. I said, okay, I see what this guy's doing. He's giving life to hardware. He's giving it a personality. Right now, headphones are a commodity. No one gives a shit what headphones they have in their, in their pocket. Steve's giving them away for free, millions at a time. I said, we're gonna give it personality. So I walked into Interscope in one of our board meetings, our staff meetings, and I said, I held up two headphones. I said, this one is Axl Rose, and this one is Tupac. Market them like that. Incredible. Right? They look like it was out of my mind. I said, no. These things. And here's the good news, guys. They don't yell at you. Okay. This is Axl Rose. This is Tupac. And you can tune them up and down. <laughs> I, you could unplug them. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> so I said, I want them to have those personalities. And that's how Beats became with Kevin Garnett and all that stuff. And we got into sports. And if I was still at Beats today, we would have bought Pendleton. We would have bought Tonal. We would have gone ro- hyperball. We would have gone right into the, into the exercise. Beach was positioned to do that. That would have been our next pivot.
1: But I
2: ran out of personal runway. I wanted to have fun.
1: Do you think, well, do you think that – um that was something that was just impossible for Apple to do that. Like, cause you think about it, those are some of the things that as Apple went into content, right? Like they thought about the idea of being able to have an entire catalog, but ultimately it was a brand that couldn't allow just any brand or any other catalog to come into play. Well, that's,
2: the, that's the problem.
1: Yeah. That's the so, problem.
2: All the tech companies have one of those problems. And so does Apple. Yeah. You know, what I wanted Apple, what I wanted Apple music to be and the dream for me and Trent was that artists can go direct to us, not to sign with us, to distribute through us. And this way we can get a bigger margin and the artists would own their masters to get a bigger margin. That will happen someday. It may not be Spotify or Apple that does it. That's the dirty little secret. Cause I think that both the record industry and the streaming services have a real issue coming down the road. And it may be a third party for all we know, Snapchat, for all we know, Twitter
1: with Jay Z. Yeah, you're right. There's still a very there's a there's still a little void. There's a window right there that hasn't been covered. The void is social and streaming.
2: They've yeah. got to be together. They've what, got to be together.
1: What what was it about? Look, you, you you ended up ultimately working with so many different artists that you've had on your label, that you've produced for, that you're friends with. But the relationship with Dre is the unique one, right? Um, And you've talked about how important I think that relationship is. And everybody of my peers, Maverick and LeBron, Future and Drake, me and KD, if if they made posters of you guys, they'd be on the wall because the relationship and the dynamic is what we strive for. What was it or what don't we know about Okay. What is that special? Because the one thing I'll say is at any level of business, two people from this lecture right now may be creating a software, a new social media platform, and that partnership is imperative. So what was it about that?
2: Okay, So HBO approached me about doing a documentary on Interscope in 2015. And I said yes. And then I said no. I said, what am I going to do? I'm going to go relive my life. I don't want to do that. You know, there's no reason for this thing to exist. You know, then Alan Hughes had an idea, who's the director of The Defiant Ones. He said to me, this is not a story about you. It's not a story about Dre. It's a story about a white and a black guy from racially charged neighborhoods that got together and had to stay joined no matter what came, no matter what they learned from their youth. They had to stay together. If you remember the movie from 1953, The Defiant Ones, Sidney Poitier and, and Tony Curtis got broke out of jail and they were chained together. There's that famous poster. If you get a chance, Google it. It's really incredible. And that's where the name came from. So what happened was, why hasn't an African-American and a white guy in the last 40 years or ever, ever built a company as big as Beats in America? Think about the two cultures they bring each other. But think about it. Think about all the problems we have in America and what we brought to each other. And I thought Alan really captured it in Defiant One. Says, so People said to me, what do you want people to leave with when they see that? I said, I want them to see that these cultures, what they bring each other. It's awesome. And it takes that humility. It takes saying, I don't know. Dre doesn't think he knows how to do what I do. And I most certainly don't know how to do what Dre does and his opinion on things. You know, when he gives me an opinion on something that way a headphone should look and I'm coming at it from a different place, we go, okay, wow. So I'm saying like, there's a lot about this. I don't know. Let's move in that direction. Right. And we've never had an argument. Dre and I have never had an argument. And it's because of that relationship that we are both as successful
1: as we are. And and then what you guys have done now, which is incredible in coming together with the the Academy for Arts, Technology, and Business Innovation, and just your overall commitment to this person, this hybrid thinker that you've talked about, right? This next innovator. And I know you took the proceeds from selling a portion of your catalog and put it into the high school. But do you and and on in a, in a much smaller scale, you know, the boardroom brand and boardroom university is because it doesn't always look and feel and sound like you always think it is—that next business mogul or entrepreneur—and that it's not always there on paper. And to harness those hybrid thinkers and those and manifest those people that don't fit in the box as they go through school or as they come up to really go and create, you know, and. Um, you know, but I, I want to hear a little bit about that, what you guys are doing. Well, we uh,
2: we realized that we need to lower the age. So we're going to go and we're going to build a uh, we're trying to build a high school in LAUSD in Los Angeles. And hopefully they're going to agree that to, uh, we have to do some stuff differently than they do. We're going to build it wherever they will allow us to build it properly. Because if we get this model right, we're in business with Lorene Jobs. And uh, she can help us scale it. Because we were trying to build a model of something that works, that can be scaled, of giving the inner city kids a unique education so they have an advantage because right now, if you go to an inner city kid and you go to somebody from uh, not an inner city, right? They have the advantage of getting the job, let's face it, you know? But if you give them an advantage and a unique education, because culturally they're coming from a place where this is a natural fit for them. And uh, so what we're trying to do is help. We want to make people want to go to high school. Right now, most of the high school students in America are like, get me out of here. Why, every kid, why am I doing this? Why am I learning Latin? Why am I, you know, all that stuff. But if we can give them an education that they go, okay, if I be, if I get it right in grade school, I'm going to get into this high school and then into the university or any university, it'll, it'll, we want to inspire kids to want to go to school and um, education hasn't been changed in a hundred years over a hundred years see the way beats re-educated people on on doing that and how to behave and how you know the whole thing I hear there are SPACs now that are building they want celebrity sponsorships you know you can't start with the celebrity you got to start with the idea there's got to be an idea because oh let's get somebody famous they're gonna sell perfume no (laughs) you know that's not what you're gonna do but anyway if we can give the students where they understand both languages Time Warner, I mean, AT&T just bought Warner. So I met with John Stanky. I said, this is going to be a crash. This is going to be a, if you don't, because the people you have at Warner now report to the people at AT AT&T in, in one way or another, they don't speak the same language. They just don't. But if they came out of this kind of education, they would understand the most important thing you could understand of someone is the why. So we have these groups that work together in the academy and one leads computer science, the other one leads design, the other one leaves, you know, business and entrepreneur and then we put them together and they work together. So what's happening is those kids are understanding the why of the other person.
1: Well, I'm going to bring Ellie Schneider up in one second, and she's got a few questions. Again, I really want to highlight Ellie's success in the program. She's graduating as a major in public relations and has done so much in the community as intern for Angel City FC, the new women's soccer team for the NBA, Fox Sports and Wasserman. When I was your age, I had done nothing. So I think that is incredible. I want to ask you one last question, Jimmy, because I talked to so many of my friends that are thinking, their kids are thinking, whoever it may be, of going all different directions. I wanna be an entrepreneur, right? Or basically they're saying, I wanna be a hybrid thinker. And if you liken it to a young athlete, there is a moment where a young athlete has to, like you said earlier, be self-aware, right? I can't make it. Or maybe I have to play overseas. Or maybe I can take this incredible experience that I learned and I can utilize this within a new infrastructure or build my own company. I, I would assume that this program in general you could take that kind of hybrid thinking, no matter what you do, whether you do it in a traditional right. journey and do it in school, right? Do you think that being an entrepreneur is just not for everyone and that some of these tactics, though, can be very useful in a more traditional journey in life?
2: Well, it's, it's so important because right now we have entrepreneur fever. You know, the whole idea of becoming a billionaire and, you know, it's, we have entrepreneur fever and not everyone's built to be an entrepreneur. It doesn't mean that you're not built to be great. Right doesn't mean that you can't be incredible, you know. I talk about Bob Iger, which is uh, Willow's husband. This is a guy who came from the ranks of ABC and Cap City, whatever company that was, and grew to be one of the most creative executives in America, with ideas and pushing the boundaries and doing all that stuff. You can apply that danger and that risk taking. To be in a, a person that is inside the company and, and an executive. Absolutely. So you have to be, first of all, if you're open and you're and you're self-aware, which is the fifth word, two words, self-aware, you'll say, mm, okay, maybe I should go in this direction or that direction. And stop looking at every stop looking left and right. Cause when you look, you know. What's he doing? What's she doing? What's he doing? She's doing. That's what I hate about Instagram. Everybody's looking at somebody else, everybody else's life rather than saying, what am I doing? Think about three, four hours a day, looking at somebody else's life. I'd still be in Brooklyn working down the docks. If I did that, (laughs)
3: you know, I mean, it's mind blowing to me.
1: Uh, (laughs) uh, Well, Ellie, it's your show. Take it away.
3: Hi, thank you both for this incredible conversation and great opportunity. Jimmy, going off of Beats, when LeBron first signed his partnership deal with Beats by Dre, he asked for part ownership of the company. While unorthodox at that time, that type of deal has become increasingly popular with James, Kevin Durant, and other athletes expanding their business portfolios on and off the court. What was the process in creating a deal in which LeBron gained equity in the company? And how was this a catalyst for the evolving sports sponsorship landscape?
2: Well, you know, first of all, it starts with Dre. Dre was a musician. Dre wasn't an entrepreneur. He had a record company, but was an entrepreneur. There was a real, pure volcano of creativity. That's what Dre was. So when we structured beats, somebody else may have said, oh, I'm gonna give Dre, I'll make, we'll make a deal. You'll get this percentage of the headphones. I said, no, 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 no. We own this company 50-50. We own the company. I will pull my load of all the business and, the, and all that stuff. You just be Dre, right? So that was the trigger and the start of what we were trying to do. Then a guy named Paul Walker, who's a, a very successful business guy in LA who represents LeBron, said to me, why don't we give LeBron equity in the company? Because, and then when I met Maverick, Rich Paul, Maverick Carter, Rich Paul, Randy, and LeBron. I said, OK, because a lot of people you give equity in companies, they take it and then they go do something else. I believe these guys, when they said we're going to kill for this thing, that they would. The next thing that LeBron did was take the headphones, 18 of them, 15 of them, take them on a, to, a plane to Beijing. And when he got off the plane, all, the whole team had them around his neck around their neck, as my kind of guy. So they were entrepreneurial, they got it. So it isn't as much as that I got it as they got it. They could have just taken the percentage in the company and got paid per headphone and then gone and done whatever they wanna do. They didn't, they took it serious. So rather than me being the visionary, they were the visionary. They saw an opportunity and they said, okay, I got this now. I, I didn't put any restrictions. I didn't put, you've got to do this. You've got to do that. You've got to show up here. I said, nothing. I believe in you. And they took that and said, okay, now we have to deliver. And they turned on that monster LeBron James ecosystem that is very, very powerful. So, you know, there are a lot of people I made deals like that with in the past that didn't do anything. LeBron James and Maverick and those guys, Rich, they don't take a penny without delivering and feeling responsible for that particular penny. That's the kind of guys they are. And, uh, you know, but not everybody's like that.
3: Speaking more about athletes as entrepreneurs, I've heard that musicians always want to be athletes and athletes always want to be musicians. For example, Damian Lillard records and raps in the off season. And rapper Jay Cole released a signature basketball shoe with Puma and tried out for the NBA. As someone with a passion for both music and sports, what do you envision for the future of the intersection of these two industries? And what advice do you have for musicians or athletes who want to pursue other opportunities?
2: Well, this goes back to the idea of of the academy. It's just using different gifts that you have and different exposure to things and taking advantage of it. By the way, if Damien Lillard loves hip hop, he wants to be a rapper. But like me and Rich, I'm not I thought I was going to be in the Rolling Stones. They never asked me. Right. So you, it doesn't mean that Damien Lillard is going to be a rapper. Doesn't mean that he's not going to be involved in some creative company where sports doesn't mean that he's not going to start an agency that blends all these things together or is going to create a beats where the world's just met. So if it isn't just a rapper, you can be, you can use your creativity in music and your awareness. But if you shut it, if, if Damien Lillard did nothing in music, while he's playing basketball, he would lose being on the cutting edge of music, which is what Rich talked about. And he would lose that energy. But because he's in it, and rapping and listening to people that are contemporary and paying attention to everything that looks, moves, and walks. Isn't that better than him going to a nightclub seven nights a week? <laughs> you know what I mean? What's he going to learn there? Those songs are already hits. So, you know, uh, but because he's doing that, when he gets out of basketball, he can use his two passions and go do something with that. So it's, it's, about, it's about stoking the fires of your passions and keeping them going. So I don't know if he's gonna be a rapper, but he can go on and be something very, very valuable to any company or
3: his own company. Thank you for letting me ask you a few questions and serve as a co-moderator. All right, Ellie, thank you. Good luck with everything you're doing. Thank you. Thanks
1: Ellie. All right, so we have two more questions. The first one is from Victoria Westover. Hello, Victoria.
3: Hi. Sorry, my Wi-Fi is a little funky. Um, first of all, thank you so much for being here. We all really appreciate it. Um, and my question is that since it's been almost one year since the pandemic began and we are now seeing a light at the end of the tunnel, I was wondering if you learned any specific lessons over these last 12 months that you that you can impart to students in the audience or like what is next going forward? What do you think is the best advice is coming out? of? I, the I, have
2: to, I have to try to figure this out in real time because I have a 14 and a 16-year-old who are trying to do high school, and it's the most social time of your life where you learn things from people on the outside and you've had to shut yourself off. What you guys are all going through is impossible, unfair, and not since the great generation of the Depression and World War II has there been a generation that's had to go through what you guys are going through at your age. It's unprecedented. I bleed for you guys, and I hate it. So I could just promise you that a lot of you are going to get so much strength from that. And of course I'll tell you what the world's not doing right now. It's not coddling you guys. It's not, it's hitting you with a stick, cutting off teenagers from a social activity and interaction. That's like putting you in a box and throwing you in a closet for, you know, it's, it's, it's unheard of and no education. Including us, no one knows how to deal with this. The grown-ups don't know how to deal with it, the educators don't know how to deal with it. No one knows how to deal with it. We got Zoom, thank God, right? But Zoom's impossible. Think about a high schooler in Zoom. It's I watch it, it's like, oh man, you know, because people are giving each other the answers and the homework is like, you know, it's a free-for-all. So you have to try to channel the strength you get from this and really just apply it because you did get up. You got, let me tell you, there's nothing wrong with you got a bump steer. You did. A lot of people in the world get bump steers, but you guys did. But what you're going through is very, very powerful. And you're going to bring your children with appreciation and teach them, you know, from that strength of what you went through, you can use this. As real firepower, because you guys can take anything.
1: I, I will say, though, Victoria, the one thing, you know, for me, and I have a different perspective than Jimmy, obviously, but share in so much of what he just said. I have younger kids and they haven't felt it the same way you guys have, but the similar kind of strength and character that's being built. But one thing that I personally took from this experience that I realized, and Unfortunately, everybody can't have this luxury, but you guys can in this program at USC, is the idea that I loved what I did for a living. The two things that got me through the last year was my family and the fact that I love my job. I'm passionate about what I do. I love the people I work with. I love the things I do. And I found purpose in that. And I doubled down on everything I was doing. And I think that as you go into the world, success is incredible. But loving what you do is so empowering. And you're going to be successful at it if you love it. And I really do love what I do. And I think that it's something that you can take from this time. Um, And I hope you did in some ways. is finding those things that you were passionate about because you had a lot of time.
2: But what I think, Rich, is that what your generation and my generation can do for these young people is to acknowledge what they went through and say, Yeah, you're right. This sucks. And from that, then they go, Okay, rather than saying, You'll be fine. Think about this, think about that. That's not how you talk to a kid, as far as I'm concerned. I get it. Uh, Empathy, empathy. And out of empathy comes communication, and then you can get somewhere.
1: Thank you, Victoria. So we have one thank more. You. Jose Salcedo, I hope I said that right, is coming up. Then we'll, uh, we'll let you go. Jose, take it
2: away. Hi. Um, thank oh, you. Jose. How are you? Thanks I'm for great, man. being here You're with us this. today. Uh, My question is uh, what is the intersection of business and entrepreneurship and where does your brilliant creativity come from and where do you see it going with this changing world? Well, everything that you're talking about, just know can be acquired. I mean, you can't dunk a basketball like Kevin Durant that you can't, you can't acquire that. You have to be born to do that. But everything that I've had in my life, I've acquired. I walked into that studio for the first time, ignorant, tasteless, Culturalist, educationist. <laughs> I walked into that studio a blank piece of paper, and everything that I got, I learned from all these people that I met along the way. But I never, for a second, was I trying to prove to them what I did know. And the reason why they wanted me around was because I brought a certain amount of humility to it, and I was willing to work harder than the next person. So if you take those two things together. There's no one's going to turn you down and no one's going to turn you away. I said I'm willing to work as hard as anybody, and I'm willing to learn. Teach me. That attitude gets you a long way. So when you say business and entrepreneurship, you mean am I an entrepreneur? Am I not? You don't know. You couldn't possibly know yet. You know. Well, he had a lemonade stand when he was 11, and that's all nonsense. You got to find it on your journey. Take the journey. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to fail. And being an entrepreneur or being a businessman, you know, as far as in a company, it's all the same thing. It's what you could become great at. Because great is the rush. Great is the reward. Everything comes after that. Do what you can be really good at. In baseball, there's a guy called a right fielder. He's usually not the best fielder on the team. So I used to be in right field. And I would pray every day that no one would hit the ball to me because I don't want to let my friends down. I was like, oh, my God, I hope he doesn't hit the ball to right field. When I got into a recording studio and the minute I sat behind that console, all of a sudden I wanted the ball hit to me. And that was nature taking over. I was a lousy baseball player, but I could be really good at this. And I felt that
1: thank you jose yeah jimmy i appreciate it thank you so much this was amazing uh thank you to the Annenberg school uh dean willow bay thank you so much pepsi thank you usc uh jimmy an honor truly i appreciate
2: it it, man
0: so that's podcast 34 that was the great jimmy ivine i learned a lot I think the students learned a lot. I think the students asked incredible questions that really drove the second part of that interview. And and it was awesome, man. And um, I'm getting great response from some of the clips we put out. So I hope everybody enjoys this podcast. Please subscribe. Please keep listening. Please go to boardroom.tv. And, um, yeah, thanks for supporting us. Next week, my man Gianni back for number 35 in honor of KD. 35 inches. Let's go.